So good morning, everyone. I'm so glad that you're joining with us here as we kick off this brand new series uh, for Lent that is called Course Correction. And this is a really important thing for us because Lent is a really important spiritual practice for us. Lent is something that we here at Bethany have been practicing for a number of years, but it's actually something that Christians have been practicing for centuries. And if you don't know what Lent is, Lent is really all about slowing down. It's about focusing in on things like confession, on repentance, on conviction, and really listening to the voice of Jesus and the voice of the Spirit. Asking, are there things, I'm sure there are, are there things that you're calling us to course correct in our lives? And I think that this might be one of the single most important spiritual practices, especially in our day and age. Because our culture does not do well with reflection. Our culture does not do well with silence. Our culture does not do well with sacrifice. Our culture really is addicted to consumerism, to convenience, to speed, and to noise. And so much of what we fill ourselves with in our culture, it's the equivalent of like junk food. It's just junk. It's just noise. It's just distraction. And really then what we need is we need like a spiritual detox for our souls. And that's what Lent is all about. Lent is about, as I said, it's about slowing down and it's asking Jesus, what do I need to correct in my life? What are you going to correct in my life? Where have I gone off course? The Lent, what it really is all about. It's a season and a time for us to actually make some mid-course course corrections. And as I said, I think this is incredibly important. This is incredibly crucial because this is maybe a bit, I don't know, direct, but it's also true that if that if your theology and your practice has not changed, grown, and developed in the past five years, it's likely been that you haven't been listening then to the Spirit, right? Because none of us are so perfect and put together that Jesus has nothing left to teach us. And Lent then, Lent then is a real season where we all corporately, we come together and we ask that question, Jesus, what do you have to teach us? Jesus, what are you saying to us? That we want to listen to the words and the voice of Jesus specifically paying attention to any area of correction that he might have for us because we all need that. We all need to make sure that we are following Jesus in his ways, in his patterns, and in his rhythms. So for Lent, we're going to be doing some things that we have throughout the past years. We're going to be praying together corporately every single Sunday, the prayer of confession. We're going to be taking more time in services, really having that time for introspection, for reflection, and for repentance. And then I do want to challenge you I do want to challenge you to actually give up something for Lent, to practice sacrifice. That Lent, as I've shared before, it's really that time leading up to Easter and giving up something will make you anticipate Easter, will make you anticipate Christ's return and Christ's resurrection. This is what we are called to do. So as we move into Lent, I want to encourage you to be here every single Sunday, paying attention, listening, seeing what it is that God might be saying to you, and especially then practicing those things of confession and of sacrifice and of asking Jesus asking Jesus, where would you have me go? What would you have me change in my life? Are there any course corrections I need to make? So for this series, what we're going to be doing is we're really going to be exploring something called the seven woes of Jesus, where Jesus critiques, where he actually calls out the Pharisees, where he asks them to make some course corrections. And so we're going to be exploring these seven woes, these seven direct statements of Jesus towards the Pharisees saying, this is where you're off course. This is where you need to change. This is where there needs to be repentance. But the focus, the focus of the series will not be just seeing what did Jesus say to the Pharisees, but what is Jesus saying to us? But what is Jesus saying to us? Because as we will see throughout the series, the same religious impulse that is a part of the Pharisees that animates their life, that drives them forward, it's often, so often, a part of ours as well. And we want Jesus to speak to us 
Because my belief is just this, that whenever Jesus speaks, we as Christians, we as Christians should be listening and willing and ready to respond. Even if it's challenging, even if it's unsettling, even if it's difficult, that we want to do the hard, right things of following Jesus together. So that's what this series is going to be about. That's what Lent is about. It's about us really following Jesus together, listening to his words, specifically exploring what he says to the Pharisees and what he might also say to us. And so to begin, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew 23. That's where we're going to be for this entire series. We're going to be really focusing in on the words of Jesus here in this passage. And I want to begin by reading to you some of the context before Jesus kind of dives directly into what is called the seven woes, where he says to the Pharisees, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Here's some of the context. Here's how the passage begins, okay? We read this. Then Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But he says this, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. And here, and here Jesus is pretty rough. Here, Jesus is pretty direct. Here, Jesus is pretty much to the point. And what he's really doing here is he's making it very clear that Jesus's problems or Jesus's um, critique and correction, it is not often actually geared towards those who are struggling with messiness, who are struggling with brokenness, who just can't keep things together. Jesus here shows that what bothers him the most, it's actually spiritual arrogance. It's actually self-righteousness. It's actually a certainty and a legalism that actually leads to separation. Kenton Sparks, a biblical scholar, he puts it this way. He says, I will not pretend to wholly understand the inner logic of this theology, but one thing seems clear. Jesus believed that the religious condition of the spiritually conceited people is far more dire than those who are careless with their spiritual health. The reason for this is that spiritual arrogance more than any other vice, and it is a vice, spiritual arrogance. Spiritual arrogance more than any other vice damages our ability to love others, especially our enemies. And it fosters within us an unhealthy reflex by which we move very naturally from our theological and moral commitments, whatever they may be, to a strong rejection of those who do not share these commitments. And that's really what's going on here with the Pharisees. They're rejecting people who do not share their theological commitments. They have a spiritual arrogance within them that is leading to separation. And so to be able to understand this passage and what's going on, and really the entire seven woes that Jesus is going to be sharing, I want to explain kind of two things to set this up. I want to explain the perspective from where Jesus is speaking, and then I also want to explain who the Pharisees are, because we often get both of these two things a little bit misguided, and we don't often get them always correct. So I want to begin by talking about where Jesus is speaking from. And the clear and the obvious answer is when Jesus is speaking, he is speaking as a Jewish person. Okay? He is speaking as a Jewish rabbi. He is speaking as a Jewish teacher and follower. And this is really important because often in theology, often even in the church, there has been this move to pretend as if Jesus is somehow anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. And this is something that was really popular, actually, in the last little while. But especially in the past 50 years, there's been this growing recognition, which is pretty obvious and pretty true, that Jesus is Jewish. So whatever we are exploring here today, I just want to be really upfront that Jesus here is not critiquing Jewish faith. As a Jewish person, he is actually critiquing some of the ways that it's gone off, off stray or off course, where it isn't functioning correctly. 
that Jesus is not condemning the Jewish people as a whole. Instead, as a Jewish teacher, rabbi, leader, and really the Messiah, he is saying this is how things are to be. So I just want to be really clear with that, that Jesus is not and never is anti-Semitic because Jesus is Jewish and he is bringing really a Jewish critique to where things have gone astray within the Jewish world. Okay? So that's the first thing, that Jesus is Jewish and he's speaking from that perspective, obviously. Secondly then, I want to talk a little bit about the Pharisees. Because sometimes too, we often have a little bit of a misguided idea about who they are. That we often have in our minds caricatures. That they're just bad people. That they're all about works or whatever it may be. But I want to explain a little bit deeper who the Pharisees are. So that we can understand the same impulse that's within them is often within many of us within the church as well. Okay? So who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees really are a religious group. Right? They're a religious group um, seeking to lead the Jewish people. That's really what they are. And what they're really concerned with as a religious group and the Jewish faith, what they're really concerned with is God's actually interacting with the world. The Pharisees are people who take very seriously following God. They are also people who actually lead by example. They are seen as the most holy, actually, within the Jewish world in that day and age. They're seen as the examples to follow. The Jewish um, leaders were really split into multiple different groups, but the Pharisees sought to live with real, actual moral integrity and righteousness without compromise. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem at the time, they were often called the Sadducees, and they were often seen as compromised elites, and the Pharisees are a reaction to them, and that they want to follow every one of God's laws. And here is why. They're not just rule-obsessed, there's a reason for it. That for them, that for them, what they know is that right now in this time and in this day and age, right, that they're living in, that Rome is oppressing them, that really there is so much difficulty going on, and that what they want is they want God to come back and to restore things, to rule with justice. They want to see the reign of God and the renewal of their world and of their land and of their country. That's what they're desiring. But what they know, what they know is that God actually acts in response to people, Right? That one of the reasons that the Jewish people are in exile in this time, what the Pharisees would teach, is because of unfaithfulness. It's because they didn't follow God's directions. So the Pharisees then want to see a renewal in the land of Israel, and they're going to lead that with their example, by following the laws, by following Torah, by following what God has commanded. That really what for them is going on is they have a deep, deep, deep concern with the fact that in their day and age and in their world, the government is corrupt. People are immoral. People aren't living as they should. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees are not just rule-obsessed people. That's really not what's going on. What they see is that if they follow the right rules, if they follow the laws of God, if they do the right things, then God will come with a Messiah, with justice, with a renewal. And that's really what they're desiring. They are hoping to see they're hoping to see their land, their country, and their community changed. And they want to be a part of that. So they seek to lead that through their example. That's really what's going on. That they thought that if they would actually lead in this way, that they would see God move. So what the Pharisees do is they really devote themselves to prayer, study, and purity in following God's laws. They devote themselves to prayer, study, and purity in following God's laws, believing that then God will move. But this... This is where things go a little bit off stray. Because whenever you start to really focus in, especially on like doing all the right things, especially on kind of like purity and that sort of thing, what can sometimes end up happening is you can start to actually miss the very heart of God. That when you start focusing in on following the rules and making sure that everyone is doing that, you can actually end up missing the heart of God, which is compassion, which is mercy, which is grace. This is what Jesus even brings up in the passage that we just read. He says this. He says, The Pharisees crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. 
This is Jesus' critique of them, that in their focus on the rules and on righteousness and on trying to get everyone to live in the most holy way possible, they end up placing unbearable burdens on people. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. The Pharisees might say, though, the Pharisees might say, though, but how can we ease the burden? That if what God demands is righteousness, if what God demands is for us to be holy, we can't just compromise. We can't just give grace. We can't just give mercy to things. That what matters is following the right rules and regulations that God has set out so that then we'll see renewal and hope and righteousness and actual life in our land. This is the Pharisees' perspective. And I think, and I think, that we should be we should be wary of ever being dismissive of the Pharisees. That we should be wary of ever being dismissive of the Pharisees because the same religious impulse that's in the Pharisees, right, to kind of police the theological borders, to ensure that people live up to a certain standard, to ensure that we do the right thing so that God will then do what he's called to do, this same religious impulse is actually within the church and within us as well. So whenever, whenever we approach the Pharisees, we need to be really wary of being dismissive of them because the same impulse is a part of us, as I said, as well. Anyone who's ever said that what, what the church needs is just more holiness and righteousness, right? that's the same impulse as a Pharisee. Anyone who has ever said that the church just needs to be clearer on the rules, and that's always said with a very strong voice, right? Anyone who's ever said that, that's the same impulse that's within the Pharisees. Anyone else ever said that we just need stronger leaders and pastors who don't compromise and give grace and all of that sort of thing? Again, that's the same religious impulse that's a part of the Pharisees. So today, I don't want to be dismissive of the Pharisees. I want to really look and ask, is Jesus' critique that's leveled against the Pharisees also something he would say against us? Because Lent is a time for self-focused introspection of repentance and conviction and all of that. I want to look at Jesus' words and not just ask, what is he saying back then, but what is he saying today? So this understanding of who Jesus is speaking from as a Jewish leader, and then also who he's speaking to, the Pharisees, I want to jump into his first, what's called woe, the first really critique that he levels against the Pharisees. And again, I want to pay attention for not just what is he saying back then, but what is he saying to us today? Okay, so let's read the very first woe of Jesus. He says this, what sorrow, or if you have an older translation, it would say, woe to you. Okay. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees? Okay. What sorrow awaits for you? He says this, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. Let's hear that again. These are Jesus's words. And as I said, whatever Jesus says, we need to pay attention to and then listen and respond. He says this, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, Jesus is strong here. You hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. So Jesus begins. Jesus begins by saying to these teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, what sorrow awaits for you? Sorrow, because remember, the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they want to see a world that is run by God. They want to see the kingdom of God actually and reigning and ruling within their country. They want to see their world and their lives changed. But Jesus levels this critique against them, saying, really, what hypocrites, the people who know the law, who know God best in the community, these Pharisees, they're actually standing in the way of God. That's what Jesus actually says to them. He says, for you shut the kingdom, the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. That Jesus' critique is that rather than the Pharisees being the people who lead people into God's kingdom, right, who usher people into God's kingdom, who invite people into God's kingdom, they actually stand in the way of God's kingdom. That for some reason, that for some reason, the most religious, the most highly respected, the most holy people of that day and age, the Pharisees, are actually an obstacle to the kingdom of God. That's what's going on here. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And this is a harsh critique, right? This is a harsh critique. Jesus says to them, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in other people's faces, and then you won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. The question, the question I want to explore is, why is it that the Pharisees are in the way of the kingdom of God? Why are they an obstacle to the kingdom of God? Why are they shutting the door to the kingdom of God? Because these would be the people you would expect would actually be opening the door wide. These are the people who know God best. What is it about them that actually causes them to get in the way of God? And what is it about them that then we might also need to pay attention for in our own lives? And if I can make this as clear as possible, here's what I think ends up happening with the Pharisees and the reason why they end up actually as an obstacle to the kingdom of God and an obstacle really to the gospel of what Jesus is preaching, of what Jesus is doing. And the reason is, because I really believe that the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, follow with me with this, okay? It is offensive, and it is offensive, not because of whom it excludes, but because of whom it includes, I want to say that again, because I think that this really can help us to frame some of the Pharisees' troubles with Jesus. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God, it is offensive, but it is not offensive in whom it excludes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive in whom it includes. I want to explain what I mean by that. That remember for the Pharisees, remember for the Pharisees, they were desperate for there to be a revival. They were desperate for them to see the oppression of Rome, you know, released. They were desperate to see justice and a Messiah show up and to change their world. And so the, the way they got serious about this was to double down on following God's laws and commands, right? To follow every single thing within scripture, to take it with the utmost seriousness. And what then they started to do was to try to get rid of like lukewarm people, of people who weren't serious about following God's uh, laws and God's commands. Because as they saw it, the people that were screwing up what God was supposed to be doing was really these lukewarm followers, was really these people who didn't take seriously what God has commanded, was really these people who didn't live with the utmost holiness and righteousness. So the religious impulse of the Pharisees in that day and age was this, follow with me. It was to clarify the borders of who is in and who is out. It was to raise the stakes on what was acceptable behavior and also what was not. And then it was to enforce and ensure that sinful people knew they didn't belong. This is what they started to do. They wanted to make sure that sinful people knew that they didn't belong. There was us and there was them. There were those who follow God and there were those who didn't. But then Jesus shows up. And do you want to know what Jesus starts doing? You can just read the Gospels for, you, for yourself and I encourage you to like read them all. Okay? What he starts doing is he starts inviting in everyone. Like he starts inviting in everyone. He starts to actually welcome in anyone. He starts to say things like the kingdom of God is for everyone. It's for the broken. It's for the poor. It's for anyone, for the worst of the worst. This is what Jesus starts to preach. This is what Jesus starts to actually live out. And the Pharisees can't handle this. Because not only does Jesus say that regular people are welcome, really what Jesus says is that the worst of the worst are welcome. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, you know, uh, Gentiles. These are the people that Jesus starts to welcome in. And the Pharisees can't handle this. 
the Pharisees would have said to Jesus, Jesus, we believe that the kingdom of God is for everyone, but they just have to do the right things. They have to offer the right sacrifices. They just have to follow the right rules. The problem with Jesus was, was that he was inviting in everyone and anyone, follow with me, as they were. As they were. As they were. He wasn't requiring them to go through all of these hoops. He was saying that the kingdom of God is there and for them. And this was something that the Pharisees couldn't handle. Let me give you an example of where we see this, actually, of where Jesus says that he's here for the people who are sinners and who are broken and the Pharisees being unable to actually get behind this and to understand this. This is in Matthew 9. It says, later, it says this, later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Okay? That's who's there. That's what's happening. But the Pharisees saw this and they asked his disciples, listen to their perspective. Why do your, does your teacher eat with such scum? Because there is the holy ones and the not holy ones. There are those who follow the rules and there are those who don't. This is a religious impulse in the Pharisees. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people too. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want there to be compassion, not just following of the rules and regulations, right? And the Pharisees, they couldn't handle this. They couldn't handle the fact that people were included because remember what I said, the gospel is offensive because of whom it includes, not because of whom it excludes. So the Pharisees would have said something to Jesus like, it is fine for anyone to come and be a part of the kingdom of God, but they have to follow the right rules. Jesus, you can't just be with prostitutes and invite them in. You can't eat with them. Because in that day and age, did you know that eating with someone was an act of approval and acceptance? So they would have said, you can't be eating with the prostitutes, those who are sinful, those who are impure. Jesus, you can't do this. It's setting the wrong example. They would have said, Jesus, you can't eat with tax collectors. These people who collude with the empire, these evil people who are a part of oppressing us, Jesus, you can't just eat with them as they are. You can't welcome them in as they are. They are evil and impure. The Pharisees would have said, Jesus, you can't be eating with Gentiles either or welcoming Gentiles in. This isn't for them, right? They don't follow any of the laws of Torah, of Sabbath, of kosher, of whatever. That what the Pharisees really struggled with is that when Jesus showed up, he started actually inviting and including people that they didn't want in the kingdom. That Jesus started welcoming in people that they didn't want in the kingdom. That they said don't deserve to be in the kingdom. That they said don't actually meet up the regulations and the requirements to be a part of the kingdom. This is why Jesus says to them, you stand in front of the kingdom of God and you shut the door hard in front of people's faces. You stop them from going in and you don't going in because they could not get behind the fact that Jesus was including people they didn't want to be there. Because what they couldn't gasp is that God was doing something bigger and better than they were comfortable with. Okay? That's what they couldn't get. That God was doing something bigger and better than they were comfortable with. And so Jesus turns to them. Jesus turns to them and they says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you who are denying what God is doing. Woe to you who are rejecting whom God is accepting. Woe to you who are kicking out whom God is welcoming in. Woe to you who stand in the way of what God is doing, who are setting up boundaries, who are setting up the reasons and the rituals and the regulations for who can be let in. You do not control the kingdom of God, Pharisees. God does. And this, this is the challenge that Jesus levels against the Pharisees, that really what they could not handle they could not handle that Jesus was welcoming people in. Because as I said, 
The gospel isn't offensive in whom it excludes. It's offensive in whom it includes. And Jesus wants to open it up wide to everyone, that everyone is invited in. And this, this is what is challenging the Pharisees. And as I said, as I said, I think the same religious impulse that we see in the Pharisees, I think we can actually see it within ourselves as well. This is why we need to pay attention to what God is saying here and what Jesus is saying here. Because this isn't something that just happened way back then. It's also something that can happen here today. So what's my main point today? My main point to start off Lent is a simple one, but it's a challenging one. Because Lent is meant to be challenging, actually. My main point is just really simple. From this passage, from what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, from now that we've understood some of the context and what's going on, my main point is just this, that it's possible, it's possible to be trying to follow God, but to actually be in the way of God. It is possible, it is possible to try to follow God, but to actually be in the way of God. And this is a hard thing for us to hear, because so often we love to cling to the fact that we must be right, that we must be in the right, that we have this often, you know, certainty, or even as Kenton Sparks put it, that spiritual arrogance. But I think what we have to name and what we have to recognize and what we have to grapple with is the reality that way back then, the most holy and righteous people thought they were following God, the Pharisees, but were actually in the way of what God is doing. And if it can happen back then, it can also happen today. This is what this woe is getting at when Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you, And that's a really good translation. What sorrow? Because these Pharisees wanted to be in on the movement of God, but they were actually in the way of it and didn't even see it. What sorrow awaits for you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. They think they're following God, but they're actually in the way of God. And that same religious impulse that we see in the Pharisees to earn and to control the activity of God, to define the boundaries of who is in and who is out, to say who is sinful and who isn't, that same religious impulse can be a part of us as well. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this practically? What do we do with this personally? What does this mean for us? Because it is challenging to think of the fact that we can be seeking to follow God and actually in the way of God. This is why we call this series Course Correction, because we want Jesus to course correct anything that is off in our lives. So what does this mean for us here today? Well, today I want to speak to really two different groups of people. I want to speak to those who don't know Jesus, and then I want to speak to those who do know Jesus. So I first want to speak to those who don't know Jesus or who aren't following Jesus, or maybe have not been to church or following him for a very, very long time. Today, the message that I have for you is good news, actually. I have beautiful, amazing news that the kingdom of God is open and that Jesus actually is inviting you to be a part of it. That's the good news that I have for you today. What I want to invite you to do is to actually accept and to trust and to enter into the kingdom of God. That if you are a follower of Jesus today, today I want to invite you, I want to challenge you, I really want to encourage you to make the choice to follow Jesus Christ because his death and his resurrection has paid for all of our sins. He has washed us all clean. He is actually welcoming us. And today you can receive new life, new hope, salvation, all that you might need if you would accept Jesus Christ. But the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Jesus's way of actually working and living and moving is that you can accept the good news of Jesus just as you are. You can accept the good news and the salvation of Jesus just 
as you are. You don't need to be perfect and put together. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to work for it. You don't even need to change to receive it. All you need to do is to accept it and follow with me. When you accept the amazing good news and gift of Jesus Christ, it does change you. Absolutely. It transforms you. It frees you. It liberates you. It does such good work within you, but you don't need to do the work to actually earn it. You don't need to do the work to earn it. Christ does that for us. We just need to accept his invitation. So today, so today, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do I think that this message means for us or for you? It's actually to accept Jesus and his invitation. It's actually enter into the kingdom of God that God wants to welcome you in if you would accept his invitation today. But then what does this mean for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who actually are seeking to practice our discipleship with him, who are seeking to follow him? Well, then if you're a follower of Jesus, like myself, today's passage, and really what it means for us, is it's actually really a warning. It's a warning that for all of our efforts to follow God, there may be areas where we are actually in the way of God. That we might be like the Pharisees, standing in front of the kingdom of God, actually becoming an obstacle to others entering. We should hear today's passage as a warning, right? As a warning that we might be missing some of the activity of what God is doing. And that we might actually be in the way of the activity of God. Because as I said, the Pharisees, the Pharisees thought that they were following God, but they were actually in the way of God. And I think this can happen to us so quickly and so easily that when we start to really get obsessed with policing the borders of who we think should be in and who we think should be out, of when we start to wonder and start to seek to control of who is allowed in and who isn't in the kingdom of God, that when we start to believe that there are certain groups, certain people, certain people that are welcomed and others that are excluded, this is when we have the same religious impulse as the Pharisees and we need to listen to Jesus' words really clearly. Because I think that we should hear this woe of Jesus as a warning that it is to the North American church. Because I think that same impulse, the same desire to control behavior, the same desire to police the borders, this is a part of the North American church. The legalism of the Pharisees can also be animating within our churches and in our lives. And today, today I could give you examples I'll give you examples of churches, of pastors, of places where we see this same attitude that's in the Pharisees. I can give you examples of how there is legalism in churches that is killing the witness of Christ. I can give you examples of how there are churches who are so clear on who is in and who is out that they are actually standing in the way of God, that their religious legalism and hypocrisy is pushing people away of God. I can give you example after example of this. And I do want to give you an example of this today, but it might be one that you might not expect that when I think about where I see the same impulse that is within the Pharisees in the church today, do you want to know where I see it? I see it in me. I see it in me. I see it in me. That if I'm really honest, and if Lent is about anything, it's about brutal honesty, brutal honesty in front of the Spirit and transparency and vulnerability, if I'm really honest with you, if I'm really honest with myself, the same impulse that I see within the Pharisees, I see it in me. That there are groups and there are people that I don't want to actually include in the kingdom of God. That if I was in charge, I'd be like, I, I, don't, think, I don't think you're so welcome here. That if I was really honest with you, there are people that I'm uncomfortable with and I don't want Jesus just accepting them and inviting them as they are. That I have people that I struggle with that I don't want to just be included Maybe this is a bit too honest for you, but it's true. 
It's true that there are some. There are some that I'm quick to give grace to. And there are others that I'm quick to seek to exclude because I don't think that God is working in their life, so therefore they shouldn't be welcomed in. But as I said, as I said, the gospel, the gospel isn't offensive in whom it excludes. The gospel is offensive in whom it includes. And so today, my confession to you, my confession to you, and it's a bit of an awkward one, but there's far more of the Pharisee's impulse within me than I care to admit. There's far more, far more of this pharisaical attitude within me than I care to admit. And my bet is, my bet is if that's a part of me, it might also be a part of your life. And I think that Jesus is seeking to actually correct this within us. That today I came here and I have all these desires for who is right and who is wrong. I want to be in charge of things. And that actually desire, that's what Jesus is critiquing in the Pharisees. That he's the one who controls the borders. He's the one who is in charge. He is the king over all things, not me. But so often we want to take that position and say, this person is welcome, this person isn't. Or this group of people is welcome, this group of people isn't. Or you need to do this or that to be welcomed in. We like to be like the uh, Pharisees, policing the borders and defining who is in and who is out. But that role, that role is only for the king of the universe and Jesus Christ. And we need to actually come and submit to him. So today, if you're a follower of Jesus, I have a challenge for you. And it's a hard one. I have a challenge for you to name in your own soul and spirit, are there any people that you would rather reject than include? Are there any groups of people? Are there any specific people? Is there any impulse within you that is very similar to the Pharisee's attitude that Jesus is calling out? Because as I shared with you, I noticed that it's a part of me. I wish it wasn't. But as I sat with Jesus' words, as I prayed over them, as I just read them again and again and again, I saw how frequently, how frequently I can be so similar to the Pharisees, but I don't want to be like them. I want to be like Jesus, which means I need to hear his voice of correction, of repentance, and of conviction. So today, today I want to invite you with brutal honesty to actually just ask that question. Are there people, are there people that you would rather reject than include? Are there people like the Pharisees that you want to be like, no, 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 not them, not them. They don't get in. That's too much. That's too much. Are there people that you believe don't deserve God's gift of grace and salvation and invitation? I think this is important for us to name these things and to name who it might be. So specifically, I don't know who it might be for you. Perhaps it's a sister-in-law. Perhaps it's someone really specific like a coworker or a friend or a neighbor who you're just like, not them. Perhaps it's a group of people. Maybe it's not you know, just a person, but a group of people. Perhaps it's like liberals or conservatives. Perhaps it's like freedom convoy people or people um, who are, you know, pro-Trudeau, whatever it may be. Perhaps it is people who are fundamentalist Christians that you're like, you don't deserve in. Or progressive Christians that you don't deserve in, right? I'm trying to name all the different spaces and places where we sometimes act like the Pharisees rather than acting as we should, which is submission to Jesus and allowing him to do the job allowing him to do the job of actually inviting and accepting and actually he is the king of the kingdom of God. So are there people that you might be struggling with? That's what I want to invite you to name. Because Robert Farrar Capone writes this. I think this is harsh, but I also think it's true. Jesus didn't shy away from sinners, so why should the church? It says this, and don't tell me that the church welcomes sinners. I know better. He says it only welcomes sinners who repent and then never seriously need forgiveness again. And unfortunately, that's true. And we've seen that, and there are examples of that. And I've even seen that in my own life, in my own heart, 
right towards people. And this is what the series is about. It is about us listening to the spirit of Jesus saying, what would you change within me? So the first step is, I want to invite you to name anyone that you would rather reject than include. And then the second step, and this is hard, but like, welcome to land, okay? Welcome to land. I want to invite you to pray for them. If there are groups of people, if there are people that you struggle with, I want to invite you to pray for them. To pray for them, to pray for them, to pray for them. Jesus says really clearly in Matthew 5, he says, You have heard what the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think, I think for me, the way we ensure that we are never like the Pharisees, standing in the way of God's kingdom, standing in the way, pushing people away, that God is actively including and welcoming, the way we do this is we name when that impulse is within us, and then we pray for them. We name when that impulse is within us, and then we pray for them. And we pray for them, and we pray for them, and we pray for them. Because the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that Jesus is inviting everyone in, that he wants them to be there, to experience his salvation, his hope, his change, his transformation. And we are called as Christians to be a part of that invitation, sharing the good news and the gospel that Jesus is true, that he died and rose again, that his salvation and his resurrection and his forgiveness of sins is available to anyone who would accept him. But we need to do the hard work of making sure that we don't end up like the Pharisees, policing the borders, shutting the door in the face of other people. I think the way we do that is that we name with brutal honesty if there are people that we struggle with, that we don't really want to include, and then we pray for them. So today, what is my challenge and what is my main point? My main point is simple. It's that we can follow the ways of God and then sometimes even find our way ourselves in the way of God. That it's possible to be following God and to actually be in the way of what God is doing. And then what is my challenge for each of us? My challenge is simple. It's first, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, I have a beautiful good news that you can accept his gift and his grace and his salvation today. That's what I want to invite you into and that's what I want to challenge you with. And then today, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to pray for those you'd rather reject and exclude than include. I want to invite you to pray for those you'd rather reject and exclude than include. To actually take these words of Jesus very seriously. Because as I have said, and as we will keep saying, Jesus is not saying these words just to the Pharisees. These words are not recorded in our Bibles just so we can know what happened way back then. These words are recorded so we can know what it is God's spirit might be actually changing within us today. And if Jesus is speaking, we want to be listening. And that's what I want to invite you into here this morning. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I pray. I pray would we hear your voice speaking to us. I pray, God, if there is any, if there is any religious impulse that is similar to the Pharisees within our hearts, within our lives, I pray, God, would we be able to name it? Would you reveal that to us? Would we have the courage to actually to sit with that, to not deny that feeling or ignore it, but to name it? And I pray, God, would you change it in our lives? Would you transform us? Would you free us to live and to love more like you than ever before? I pray, God, would we have the courage to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and God, to not be standing in the way of what you are doing. God, I pray, Would we never stand in the way of the kingdom, shutting the door, but instead, God, would we be a part of it and welcoming and inviting others in? And I pray today, too, for anyone who does not know Jesus, would they accept his amazing gift of salvation that is free, that he has worked for, that he has earned, that he has provided for us? Might we accept his amazing gift of salvation today? And then, God, as we continue to move through Lent, I pray, God, would you give us courage? 
Would you give us courage to hear your words, to not turn away from things that maybe unsettle us or challenge us, but actually to spend time with you, listening to you, so that you might course correct our lives because we need that. We need that and we need that. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.